Hey there, my friend, Steve Gamlin here. Welcome to the latest episode of the Motivational Firewood Radio Show. What are my favorite days? The days that we find cool people to talk to. Today is no exception. Today, I've got Jason Holzer with me. Jason is a speaker. He is a best-selling author. He is also, and this is something really cool, part of his title, he is a post-traumatic growth storyteller. So we're going to be digging deep on a bit of that. He's also a certified thought coach and the co-founder of 4D Athletics. So we're going to find out what that means as well. Uh, I got D's in high school in a couple of subjects and I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with that. So we're going to be talking about that as well. Jason, welcome to the Motivational Firewood radio show. Steve, it's great to be here, man. I appreciate you having me on. You're very welcome. And we've, we run with a pretty cool tribe of people. And I was recently on somebody else's show and they said, hey, you have a show. I said, yeah. They said, you ever met Jason Holzer? I said, nope. Says, well, you got to meet Jason. So here we are. So cool, man. That's, I appreciate the uh, accolades from, uh, from our mutual contact. Yeah. And, and there were several, actually, I was on the phone with someone the other day and they said, you got to meet Jason. I said, I've already met Jason. He's already going to be on the show. <laughs> so whatever it is you're doing behind the scenes and in, in the energy you're putting out there in the world, just keep doing it because you just keep bubbling up on people's radar. So uh, why don't you explain for anybody here listening to the show, who you are, where you've come from, and what got you this far? I know that's a, a loaded question that could take days, but um, what do you feel is, is the greatest energy that's created where you are now and where you're going? Yeah, you know, I think uh, coming from a, a place of genuineness and authenticity and then also coming from a place of how can you and I benefit from knowing each other, not just myself, but what's in it for you, what's in it for me, and how do we, you know, collaboratively make each other better? And I think that's kind of what's really helped me is creating win-win relationships. Uh, because if it, if it works for me, but it doesn't work for you, then we actually both lose, in my opinion. So I would say that's been the, one of the biggest things that I've learned uh, from some people that I've studied under or studied from or is that to to really come from a place of transparency, come from a place of genuineness, authenticity, and also look out for the other person by making sure it works for them. And if it doesn't work for them, either find out why to make it work or be okay with, hey, maybe it wasn't supposed to work out in general. And it's funny, sometimes the things that don't work out actually wind up, as much as we fight it, teaching us the most or, or the more difficult times that we can't just skate through they wind up having the biggest impact on us as well. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and uh, I, I've learned from my like from some things that that have come up in my mind is it's not always what you want, but it's kind of what you need. Like, I don't mm. want to work out every day. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to have to stretch or do yoga. I don't want to do those things. You know, sometimes I want to just drink a beer and sit down. Mm-hmm. But I know if I drink water and I get my body moving later on, I'm going to feel better. You know, so it's. Uh, goes back to that thing of like, well, what do I need today? And how do I get there? And sometimes it is what you want. Sometimes what you need and what you want, they do align. Sometimes they don't. But I've found if I always do what I need to do, what I want kind of comes my way uh, unconsciously. Yeah. And it works that way for our, you know, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls, our careers. And, and you know, not just inside, but outside of us as well. And everything, everything we do, uh, what's, what's the old saying? Every action is an equal and opposite reaction or. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm getting scientific here. I'm, I'm mis- yeah, I've been right. misquoting all day in, in interviews. So I'm, I'm like that close. I want to say it's uh, Newton's law of Newton's law of physics, right? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and the funny part is that I. I don't live in the scientific world. I trust that the scientific world exists. Uh, like I do a lot right. of work with visualization and, and vision boards. And somebody asked me one time, are you an expert at quantum physics and quantum mathematics and mechanics? And I said, I can barely spell it, but I know it. it's working. So what I'm trying to do is put the best thing possible right in front of it to gain the best results on the other side. So that's, yeah. that's as scientific as I get. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like uh, somebody smarter than me figured it out. I, it worked for them by their results. So if they're doing it, maybe uh, I can figure out how it's going to work for me as well, you know? Yeah. Now, um, you've written a book and it is a bestseller. And it's, it's how you survived something traumatic that happened in your life. And I'm sure that there's a, the roots of that are impacting the people that you work with and you help today. So if you would, would you explain a bit about the book and the story behind it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so it's uh, almost been out a year now. Um, but when I, I wrote it, it was my first person story of uh, what happens when you lose somebody to suicide. Um, I lost my dad to suicide whenever I was 17. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I remember as, to put it lightly, life altering and having your, your life flipped on a dime. You know, that's what I felt like at the time because, you know, I, I grew up in a strong family. I grew up in a, a loving family. Um, suicide wasn't a um, something that happened. It wasn't like it was a, a generational thing or a genetic thing. It wasn't, it was, a, this is a one-time incident, you know? And so there was no real reason to look for it to happen. There was no reason to, to even try to look for possible signs because this was 2003, right? So our resources on suicide, prevention were not as strong as what they are today. And we have so many more things to, to help with that today than what we did 17 years ago. Um, and it was very, and, and very, it was very taboo at the time. And it still kind of is the elephant in the room that people just are not willing to acknowledge like, Hey, this is an issue. And how do we put this more into the forefront of how do we solve or how do we get to helping people that are going through some mental illness that are going through some, tough thinking um, to get them on a better track, to get them on a more positive loop of, of, of thinking and, and valuing their life. Mm. And you're right. It is, it is the elephant in the room and it is taboo. And I'm, I'm happy. It, it stinks that we have to have these conversations, but I'm happy that there's more awareness now of living with mental illness, how to understand mental illness. Uh, I've got friends who have had, serious issues in their lives due to mental illness who are now doing so much better because they did reach out and they did find people who could explain to them why they were feeling the way they were feeling. And now they're authentic again. They're not hiding behind uh, all of these things and all the, the most beautiful parts of their lives are now able to come out because they found somebody who understood them and explained to them how to translate what they're feeling and to be able to share with others and to seek out help. And one of your titles, and I mentioned it, is post-traumatic growth storyteller. And as a speaker, I'm a storyteller. That's that's how I share the lessons that I've learned over the years. Uh, what are some of the ways that you work with people to be? And I love that title, post-traumatic growth storyteller. Yeah, I think is uh, you know from 
the early ages of, of uh, us as human beings, stories have been a part of the, uh, you know, what we really are drawn to, what we really learn from, you know, and I think I wouldn't label myself as a storyteller because, you know, speakers, there's like this huge expectation of like, oh, he's going to wow the audience about what he's going to tell them about, you know, what he's going to speak about. But as a storyteller, you can, you know, really bring the audience in because you tell it from your experience, like you've lived it. It's not something you've studied and tried to regurgitate. It's something that you literally walk through and it comes across as more genuine and authentic. And then the things that you want people to learn from it, you've lived those as well. And so it's easier to, you know, come across as, you know, somebody that has experienced, gone through it and, and thrived after just surviving. And so you become more relatable whenever you're more relatable, people um, gravitate towards you more and, and give you a listening ear because of what you say. Mm. And you've got a uh, part of your history is working at inner city schools as well with young people. So what do you see, you know, now working with people at a younger age, maybe as young as you were when you had the tragedy in your life or even younger, what are some of the lessons that you try to impart as a storyteller, as a living example, and also as a teacher to, to youth? And I know you still do a lot with basketball and, and coaching young people as well, or you have uh, in recent years. Yeah, you know, I think for me, it's, um, you know, as, as difficult as what kids may be going through, um, try to have, a, have an optimistic attitude. And what I mean by that is every day is not going to be like exciting or happy or like the best day. Like you're not going to have those euphoric moments every day. You're going to have days where you're going to be sad. You're going to have days where life's going to like hit the fan or punch in the gut or whatever. But believing that what I'm going through now has purpose. What I'm going through now is something I can use to benefit me down the road because there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And for whatever reason, even though I don't like going through it, there's something I'm going to be, I'm going to be glad I did because it's going to help me figure out who I am and what my purpose is. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes like you have to go through those, like get dragged through the mud to really dust yourself off and figure out, hmm, man, what, uh, what did I learn from that? And what can I take away from that? You know, I said, I think that's kind of what I use my experience for. I was like, hey, man, I've been in a similar situation. And even though what you're going through is a little bit different, and even though I can't really understand fully what you're going through, I've been in a similar tough situation, and here's what I did. So it helps me be relatable by being open to them, too. Yeah. And, and something I like to, to share, kind of an analogy, is we're, we're all climbing up a mountain. And I believe the truly successful people aren't the ones who get to the top first, but they're the ones who always look back over their shoulder to say, well, look, I struggled to get this far. Let me look over my shoulder, reach a hand back out to somebody who might be just coming up to that, that rock, that outcrop, that difficult path, uh, the woods where the bear is hiding. And, and let me you know, guide these people to get to where, where I am now. And then maybe you get to actually share the journey with them and, and help them to grow a little more quickly than if they had to discover it all on their own, kind of like you, know, you had to go through on your own some of the the biggest challenges that have happened in your life. So as a coach, you get to do that for people. As a storyteller, you get to do that. As a teacher uh, in everything else you're doing, as a guest on this show, somebody who can identify with your story is saying, well, okay, this guy, Jason, I should go look him up and, and see what he's done. I should go get his book and understand what he went through. You know, it's, it's another vehicle. It's another hand reaching back, you know, into the darkness, down the mountain. Yeah, and like kind of what you mentioned before with the, the mountain um, analogy too is, 
you know, if you're the first one to make the mountain, it's like this like small moment of celebration. Like, ah, I made it. But there's nobody here to celebrate with me. But if you, like you said, you bring somebody up with you and you, you climb that together and you make it to the top together, now it's more fun to enjoy that experience with other people as opposed to just like, well, I made it. Cool. Uh, now I got to go back down now, I guess. I don't know what's, you know, but uh, it's, it's, and it flows right in line with, with coaching and with kids and, and teaching them like, Hey, you know, things done together, especially tough things done together. Mm. There's so much fulfillment having the resiliency of completing it with other people. You know, it really brings like connection um, and it brings a bond, you know, with people. Like, hey, yeah, we went through this together. Um, and that's what I would say with my family too that's made us stronger is that, you know, we we came closer together in that moment. And um, there were tough days and stuff, but I think, you know, we are closer now um, than what we were, you know, even beforehand because we had to really like, hey, we need to stick together because this is all we have right now. And, and you said a word, a key word there, which I was actually just about to ask you. You said the word resilience, and and so many of us. I mean, life is an uphill battle. We don't. We're not born, and we don't just hop on something and ride down. You know, wee, and just enjoy this ride. We're climbing every single day. We're having to fight for every inch of every view that we earn the right to have. And I totally agree. Getting to the top with other people and going through stuff, weathering the storms on the way up, maybe slipping on the rocks, skinning your knees getting blisters and cutting your fingers, it galvanizes us. So what do you think is the greatest lesson that you have either learned or that you get to share about resilience and about just keeping going no matter what, if it's something you're passionate about or you believe in or you know is right? You know, I think uh, Rocky said it best, Sylvester Stallone said it best, when it's like, it's not how hard you get hit, it's how hard you get hit and you get back up even after you have because for me, I would call it like, you know, a gut punch to the stomach, you know, just something that knocks you over, knocks you down. But if you're able, even if it's like you got to kneel first and then you got to take one step, if you just are able to get back up, you know, that's what I kind of mean by resiliency is like, you know, taking a blow, but, you know, like it may knock you down, but do you, are you like, how do you get back up afterwards? You know, because mm-hmm. all of us at some point, if you live long enough, there is something that's going to happen in your life. That's just, I mean, that's a fact, you know, nobody that lives, you know, I mean, very few people that that have lived over 30 to 80 can say like, Oh, wow. You know, life has been just a smooth sailing. Right. Um, It's it's just, it's just inevitable. It's more, and and it's more of like, how do you, um, you know, how do you show resilience by seeing a positive outcome, even when things may not be going your way or the way you want them to but still seeing like the purpose behind it, maybe. I'm so happy that you mentioned Rocky in there as well. And, and something I wanted to add was, you know, if, if you get a gut punch and you get knocked down and you get back up and you get gut punched again, what you do learn over time is to start being able to defend yourself against that gut punch. And you, you do more work. Now, would you, if you would, just explain the concept of everything happens for a reason and the purpose for some of these things, even the really bad ones that happen in our lives. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, I'm I'm glad my dad, I lost my dad to suicide. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. And, and, but what I am saying is like, there's nothing I can do to change the fact that of what happened. So what can I take away from this 
extremely negative, devastating situation and flip that on a positive and turn it into a transformational, uh, impactful, you know, story of overcoming resilience, inspiration, because, and that takes time. Like, it's not something like, Hey, I, I, I Oh, I'm going to come. Okay. I'm going to start writing this book now, like a year later. You know, I really had to give myself the time to make sure I was completely in a place where I can go and, and talk about this and be okay with being uncomfortable with it and knowing the possible ramifications of it. So it takes a lot of forethought. It takes a lot of pre- preparation on my part to even get to this place of, of being willing to be open about, you know, my story, writing my book, you know, so for the listeners too, like, you know, give yourself time and give yourself the, uh, the ability to know when you're able to tell your story. Like sometimes if it's too soon, it's too hard and you're not ready yet. So, you know, that's why that's a lot of me is like everything happens at the perfect time. And it's us being able to, to know when that time is. Mm. And it takes a lot of inner work and in working on your wiring as well. You know, the, it's, if you think back to the very early, early uh, telephones, you know, somebody would plug in a wire here, the other end would go here and it would trigger a certain thing. Well, you know, too soon after an event when you haven't figured out your wiring yet and those two wires just stay connected and you haven't been able to grow and to learn and to deal with and to understand and to comprehend and then learn how you can turn around and share it with others in such a way that it's going to inspire them to be able to work through their way at their pace. Uh, And you do a lot of work with, with people who have survived significant losses in their lives and also with, with athletes as well. And I don't know if that's part of 4D athletics or not, but uh, if you would explain what that program is about, you're one of the co-founders of 4D athletics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so 40 athletes is, you know, we see the opportunity here to teach uh, life moments, life skills, essential life skills through sports, because, you know, sports is something that a lot of young people like to do. Um, and we found an opportunity here. Like we can really teach kids about life, about failure, about, you know, um, having to get back up, even if like, let's say you go on a losing streak, let's say you lost four or five in a row. Okay. Like how, how do we turn this around? And it's a safe environment. Like, Hey, you know what? At the end of the day, if we lose four games in a row, is it really going to affect our day-to-day life? No, it's, it sucks to lose, but is it really like, you know, family's still here, you know, friends are still here, not a big deal, but it's no fun to lose. You know, it stings a little bit. It hurts a little bit. So what are we learning here? Okay, if we want to flip that over to being on the winning side, you know, okay, maybe we need to do some things differently. Maybe we need to reflect. Maybe we need to change some things. So, you know, for us, it's like how do we teach, you know, young adults, young people, teenagers, how to be, you know, better communicators, better relationships, goal setting. Um, what are character skills? What are um, your ability to handle your emotions? You know, um, not letting those overtake you, but understanding the purpose of them. Um, and your attitude. So, so, you know, there's about 24 different things that we really get into that we feel like if we can have those younger kids, again, teenagers, young adults, build the habit of getting a little bit better every day and having small action steps through micro lessons, that by the time they become an adult, they're going to learn how to pivot and how to be successful in any profession they go into. And so many people just think, oh, it's just kids. It's just a game. It's just play. It's not that, you know, the seeds of all the stuff that many adults are, you know, in the 
20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, if they'd had that in their formative years, they'd play a lot nicer right now than some people. Um, you know, planting those seeds and getting those muscular movements and muscle memory and, and mental muscle memory as well to condition them to behave in that certain way. And you said the perfect word. You said pivot. To take those skills and pivot into their relationships, into their careers, into themselves as well. I mean, I, I still remember a lesson from my very first Little League game in 19, I got a few years on you, 1978. And we, we got, I mean, we got shellacked. We lost 16 to three. I played second base, but I've never forgotten a lesson I learned that day. You know, a couple of those runs got in because of me. There was a guy running to second, and it wasn't a force play. So I'm standing there on the bag holding the ball, thinking he's out, and he slides in. And the umpire says, safe. And my dad was the coach at the time. And he, after the game, he took me aside. He said, okay, we're going to teach you force play versus tag the man. And, I mean, we would have still lost maybe 14 to 3. I didn't, I didn't deep six the entire game. But I still remember that lesson today, that you can't just stand there and expect the world to you know, take care of itself around you. You've got to take action. You've got to take the ball and you have to go after exactly what your targets are. Mm -hmm. And that still impacts me today. I'm 52 years old now. That was when I was nine. Wow. So these these yeah. lessons, it's, you know, and, uh, I, I can't just stand here and expect great things to come to me or bad things to go away from me. I've got to turn around, take the ball and either tag them or hit a home run if the ball's coming at me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever I first started coaching uh, basketball, my first hit, coaching job I actually started a program at, at the inner city school uh, because they didn't they only, they only had soccer uh, and so there was nothing really for kids to do in the winter time so I was like, okay well we'll try to start a team and you know we didn't win a game for three years you know but some of my former players would come back to me and say they'll say thank you I learned so much about keeping going even the school or the scoreboard saying one thing the fact that I never quit. I'm still a winner, even though we didn't win a game, we never gave up. You know, I think so. You can still win, even though you may have lost on the scoreboard. And on the flip side of that, you can lose off the scoreboard, even though you've won on the scoreboard, you know? Mm -hmm. So it really is defining your definition of what is a victory? What is a win? Is it based on what the score is or is it based on the impact that you've had the, uh, transformation that you've given the people that you are coaching, the kids that you're coaching and even parents too, or even, you know, other people like around you, you know, you don't really realize like how indirectly you can maybe be affecting other people that are kind of in your area as well. And sometimes whenever you're coaching, you're focused on your players, but then you don't realize like, Oh, well maybe if uh, you know, the way I handle myself also impacts somebody else. You know, a lot right. of times we kind of forget that aspect of it too. Yeah. Yeah, we, we sometimes forget there's always somebody watching. You know, it, it might not even be one of your players. It might be the little brother or sister of one of your players who sees how you coach someone and they pick it up. You know, we, we never know just because it's, it's not always on the court or on the field. It's, it's in the stands. It's in the bleachers. It's in the shadows as well. Because your voice, if you're a coach, your voice is booming. Um, you know, not without the, you know, not with like the reverb of the godlike voice coming down. But you're loud because you're directing people. You're encouraging people. And that was one of the things my dad always told us. You cheer your team on no matter what. If, even if you're getting slaughtered, you keep on cheering. You keep on celebrating. You celebrate a walk. You celebrate a hit. You celebrate a catch. 
you celebrate everything along the way. And all of a sudden you realize that lesson stays with you all the time and you're cheering others yeah. on and, and it makes you feel good because you're, you're plugged into the action. And especially in those moments of, of losing a game or losing something in life. And, and one of your titles is post-traumatic growth leader, coach, mentor. Um, explain some of the work you do with that with people because that's we're so used to hearing post-traumatic stress disorder and I, I work with a number of um, veterans, um, you know, familiar with their stories. I've been at speaking events with them as well. And you hear that so often, but your, your title for that is, is very, very interesting. So if you would, please explain some of the work that you're doing uh, with, with that title. Yeah, you know, um, so during quarantine, I was like, well, what's my opportunity here? You know, a lot of people like, or they had the mindset of like, Oh, things are being taken away. Things like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the lack, the shrunkenness of being in my house. And I was like, Hmm, what is the door that's opening? Because for every door that's closing, another door is opening. I think a lot of times we forget about looking at the door that's opening. And so um, I came across something called a certified thought coach where, you know, and so I went through the certification, I went through that process. And now like, you help people understand where their thoughts are. And so wherever you can pinpoint the origin of thought, then you understand like maybe where your emotions are coming from. And when you can understand where your emotions are coming from, you understand why you're acting a certain way. And then it goes back to that science lesson for every action, there's a reaction, right? So, mm. you know, if you have a traumatic event that happens to you, try to find the meaning behind it, the origin behind your pain, and then learn how to, for lack of a better term, learn how to uproot that weed or uproot that pain moment to give you the space to allow something positive to be planted in there as well. Cause your mind is very similar to like a garden, right? Anything that you plant will grow. So if you're constantly in a negative thinking loop, you're probably going to be in a lot of negative situations extra on the flip side of that. If you are in a positive loop, you're going to be around or connected with more positive people. So it's, you're not saying you're, you're, you're going to have negative thoughts. It's going to happen. But just trying not to get emotionally involved with them or believe them or, you know, allow them to overcome, you know, your thinking process. Mm -hmm. If there's somebody listening right now who's, who's kind of saying, yeah, I'm in that garden right now, kind of full of weeds and it's cloudy. What would be some of the first steps or what would be some of the ways that you would tell them to, to start even the smallest shifts to kind of get, weed out some of those bad things and to maybe understand a little more deeply how much control they actually have over kind of plotting a better course, planting better things, finding the sun through the, the cracks in the clouds. If, if people just feel overwhelmed and, and kind of stuck, what would be some of the things that you would, as, as far as even small initial steps to, to yeah put themselves in a better place. Yeah. Well, one thing is um, journaling and, and even writing down like the thoughts, your mental chatter, you know, what's just, just being like, okay, what is going on in my head right now? What am I? And then, and then maybe just making a doubt like negative, negative, positive, positive, and then kind of do like a ratio. Like, okay. Hmm. I see I'm kind of on a negative thinking loop here. So I think just, just being aware of, of your thoughts being, and, and then asking yourself, where did that thought even come from? You know, cause, cause a lot of the thoughts that we think are programmed into us from outside sources that just go like, we don't even, we don't even think about them too much. They just kind of go into your subconscious mind and all of a sudden you're feeling negative. Like that's why I never watch the news because it's like everything is on there is doom and gloom. 
And so I have to consciously think like, okay, I see what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nope. Don't want to think that. Boom. Nope. Don't want to think that. And it's exhausting, you know? So, and it's also asking yourself the right questions. Like a lot of times people will ask them the wrong question. Like, you know, why is life so hard? Well, your mind is a answer seeking mechanism. If you ask yourself why life is so hard, it's going to find answers for you on and to prove why you think life is so hard. Now, if you ask yourself a question like, why does my life flow easily and my dreams come to me at the perfect time? And you ask yourself that over and over and over again, you're going to start shifting and pulling out those weeds and you're going to kind of, you know, kind of find the, more of the positive side. So it really goes back to asking yourself questions that you want the answers to, as opposed to asking questions that you probably don't want the answers to. Yeah. I've seen people on social media, um, especially this year, with 2020, I'm just, I, I, I've got Godzilla in the November pool for what's going to happen next. But I see some people saying, oh my gosh, what else can go wrong? And I read it and I go, oh my gosh, don't ask Don't that. ask yourself that. Because yeah. it's going to show up and it's yeah. going to be wearing steel-toed work boots and it's going to crack right. you. You know, and, and yeah. I, I say that with a smile in, in, in a slight tinge of humor, but it's actually very serious. It's exactly what you talked about. And so many people who aren't in the industry that we're in hear that and they go, well, that's just airy fairy. That's this and that. No, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, energy wise, attraction wise, magnetic wise, law of attraction. If you, if you understand it, you know, some people say, I don't believe in the law of attraction. I'm thinking, well, your track record shows me that you do. You're just denying it because you've invited doom and gloom for yeah. months now you don't have to believe it yourself yeah. but the reality of it is it's here so whether yeah. you whether you ignore it or whether you whether you accept it it's 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 not going away yeah and, and i get some people that say you know they they do what i call is bribing god for lottery numbers they said if something good happens to me i'm going to share with those in need it's like well wait a second <laughs> it's like when whenever the powerball gets up to like 800 million dollars and they're in line at the store and they go okay if you help me win, I'm going to do good things in the world. We yeah. do good things in the world now. Yeah. And, and just maybe that might attract some good things into your world as well. Because mm -hmm. in, somebody asked me, they said, how does the law of attraction work? I said, the energy that you put out in the world, and this is just my opinion, generally increases the odds that similar energy will return. Yeah. So if you're saying what else can go wrong? Yeah, might want to roll up the windows because there's a, a big flock of pigeons coming <laughs> yeah, to and, uh, decorate your windshield. You know, what I've learned too is that the law of attraction is actually a secondary law. Like I learned this from uh, Bob Proctor, uh, but the law of vibration is the law before that. So, you know, whatever, if you're in a negative thought pattern, then based off of how you are feeling, that attraction is going to um naturally follow how you are how your body is is in what it's in vibration with you know you're always going to attract what you are in vibration with and again you're gonna have tough like you know harder days or you're gonna be in a negative situation or whatever i'm not saying that like you can eliminate all of that but you your mind is a it's a you know you can flip it on a dime if you really like are conscious and and use your willpower you can get out of that quicker where you know you can escape or, you know, put yourself in a better feeling position.
and sometimes there are people in our industry who say, every day above ground is a great day. And I always just go, oh my gosh, stop saying that. Just because you woke up today doesn't mean it's a good day. We could wake up in a yeah. good place or a bad place, good mood or a bad yeah. mood, hopeful or doubtful, either one. And people ask me, I, I get asked this a lot, Steve, don't you ever have a bad day? I have plenty of bad days. I've had plenty of bad days. And they say, well, what do you do on those days? I say, get out of the house. And I go commit an act of kindness or two or 10, however many mm -hmm. it takes. And then, of course, you get the thing of, well, I can't afford yeah. to do kindness. So I created a list of seven things you can do for free. I said, I go do those. And I always come back yeah. in a better place. Even if I go hold the door for people and, yeah. and make them laugh as they're walking through, or I go return a shopping carriage so it doesn't dent somebody's new car, or mm -hmm. just tell somebody, hey, I like your hat. That is the coolest hat I've seen all day. And they're happy. I'm happy. I always, you know, yeah, intentionally getting out of its way and plugging into something more positive. As weird as it feels sometimes, I get it. Always, always, always steps it up for me to get to that next good place. Yeah, you know, and a, and a couple of days, as a recent thing, a couple of days ago, I woke up and I was kind of like in a grumpy mood, quite frankly. Um, and my wife's not used to me seeing that way. She's like, well, what's, what's, what's crawled up you today? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just off today. I, I, I just... I mean, quite frankly, and then it kind of like lingered through the morning. I was like, you know what? I just need to like, give me 20 minutes to kind of just clear my head. And so I did that, you know, like it was around lunchtime or so the kids went down for a little nap rest time. I was like, I'm just going to write out in a journal, kind of get it out of here. And then, cause sometimes I just kind of fester inside. You just kind of like figure out a way to release it quite frankly, mm -hmm. acknowledge it and release it. And I think people think it's, it's so complicated, but it's, it's really, really simple. Like you mentioned, like, it could be like, hey, just send a send a kind text message to somebody, or say, hey, you know, I thank you for um, whatever you did, like gratitude. You know, it's these are not like rocket science, you know, strategies, but people think that it's it's way more complicated than what it really is. Mm. Yeah, and I've been keeping a gratitude journal for oh gosh, eight and a half years now. And the first thing I do when I hit my desk every morning, uh, it's, it's actually under the back of my laptop. So my laptop is, is at a slant to make it easier to type. So I flip open the laptop, hit the power on, reach behind it, pull out my journal, and I write the date and I write the words good stuff. And then one, two, three, and in less than a line each, my three favorite moments from the previous day, the weirder, the better. Because sometimes people will say, oh, yeah, I get up every day and, and say three things of gratitude. I'm thankful for my health, my family, and my job. And I say, okay, repeat the same thing for nine or ten days. And by the end of that, it's like, I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for my family. I mean, the excitement just isn't there anymore. You're not plugged into the juice of it. So what I, try, what I do is, is in less than a line each. As, as emotionally connected as possible. So my three favorite moments. And some of them, I tell you. They are weird, but two years later, if I read them, I'm plugged right back into where I was. And if I'm down, it brings me back up Yeah, because I remember that's what's think, really going on all day. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there too. Cause like you get emotionally involved in the gratitude. Like if you just, if you're just, uh, you know, uh, just saying words without emotion, then it's not going to really mean it. You got Like you mentioned, you got get the emotion involved with the gratitude that's the secret sauce there. So that's, uh, you know, um, what I learned too is like, it's not just writing things that you're thankful for. It's, it'd be better to write down three things that you were emotionally thankful for as opposed to writing down 12 things like, well, I'm thankful for my car. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my dog or whatever. 
else. Like get get into like the really things that you are truly, truly thankful for and mm. feel that excitement. Yeah. I mean, over the weekend on Sunday morning, I wrote down, I am thankful for Fox P because I bought a bottle of it for 15 bucks and poured it on the wall out back to drive the chipmunks out of there. You know, I don't want to set traps and kill them. I just don't want them digging up my backyard anymore. And, and believe me. And also, you know, I've never been more careful transferring a liquid from one bottle to another as I was with Fox P as silly as that was 10 years from now, I'm going to read that and I'm going to laugh or wherever I am is going to put me in a better place. You know, something silly as that, you know, if people can give themselves that gift every day of something they're grateful for that makes them who they are and, and can get them through a tough time. I mean, even, even on the roughest days of my life over the past eight and a half years, there's been three things every following morning of either a lesson I, I learned from something or somebody with whom an interaction made my day better. And tomorrow morning, you're going to be in the, in the list of three for this conversation. Yeah, likewise, Steve, you know, it's, uh, I think it's too, you know, um, thanking the people that come into your life, because I think, you know, everybody comes in your life at the right time for the right reason. Some people stay longer, some people are, you know, come and go, but, you know, we are such a social, naturally social people, such a, almost like we're a bunch of ants, quite frankly, like more, more you know, conscious ants. Because, you know, if you watch an ant farm, they're always like, they're working, they're going, they're like, they're, they're bringing something together. They're always doing, and that's kind of how we are. Like, you know, we, we tend to isolate ourselves sometimes, but the reality of it is we are stronger when we put mastermind groups of people together, because let's face it, you do something better than I do. And there might be something I do better than you do. So if you put your strengths together, then you multiply your strengths and and your output, uh, your impact, because you can't do everything by yourself. We're together because somebody else that you did some work with and I did some work with said, you two need to speak. You know, here we are having this conversation, sharing a message that I hope people are resonating with. And if they're kind of stuck in the shadows a little bit, that this little ray of light has found them today and they found their little way out, their little crack uh, between the clouds. So for anybody listening right now that wants to learn a bit more about you and the messages you share and about your book as well, what is the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, sure. You know, um, know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, you know, I've I've really found a liking to LinkedIn because I, I find people on LinkedIn are much more tunnel vision. Like they're not like, the, all the noise of some of the other, like, or I like LinkedIn because it's like, Hey, you know, here's a purpose for this platform. As I like a defined um, definition of like what this platform is for, or what it's not for, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I, I tend to be more active on, on uh, LinkedIn as well. And, you know, my book is on Amazon. Um, 40athletes.com is our website, you know, four D as and dog athletes.com. So that's where you can find me in, in, in those areas. Awesome. Jason Holzer, thank you so much for being a part of the Motivational Firewood Radio Show. And I do look forward to continuing our relationship and our conversations moving forward, especially on LinkedIn, because so far, that's probably the only platform nobody has put up a quiz to ask what my cat's stripper name would be. So (laughs) thankful for that. Right. No question. We don't need to know that answer. No, we do not. (laughs) Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Yeah, I look forward to connecting again very soon. Likewise. Yes, definitely. Thank you for listening. For more information on how you can create a more vivid, focused future with the Vision Board Mastery Program, or to invite Steve to be part of your next event, 
please visit motivationalfirewood.com. 